When you have someone who's emotionally or intrinsically starved, it doesn't matter how many systems or tools, or if you will, how much dirt you use to try to fill that hole. You can't fill an intrinsic hole with systemic information. That's a quote from Ashley Bowers, the Chief Strategy Officer of TTSI, and that's what we're talking about today, intrinsically starved employees. Can't wait to share the information with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there, my name is Susie Price and I'm with Priceless Professional Development and you are listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast, which is my joy to produce for you. And this is our 16th year at Priceless Professional Development in business. And we're focused on helping senior leaders build an energetic, committed, drama-free Wake Up Eager Workforce. And we do that through hiring science. We help organizations put the right people in the right seats uh, using candidate assessments and benchmarks and getting clarity. That's a key part part of motivation and energy and and making sure you don't have intrinsically starved employees. A key part is making sure you got the right people in the right seats. And then once you've used some of the resources that we share with you on that, you take that same information, the assessments, trimetrics in particular, and you use it for onboarding. And then you allow their assessment and that information help you do a better job of leading them and managing them and helping them with their growth. And it works throughout the life cycle of their employment with you. And so that leads to not only do we help with hiring science, but we coach leaders, we train leaders, and we work with teams. So we do that through all of our consulting tools, coaching tools. We also do that through our books, our monthly newsletter, this podcast, and something new that I've started doing, the Wake Up Eager Wednesdays. So we're all about Wake Up Eager here, and it's the art of science of helping you bring the best of who you are to your work and to your life so that every day you do wake up and you say, hey, I like where I'm at. I like how I'm living. I'm using my talents fully. Our whole mission is to help people get to where they want to go, and we're just passionate about that here. So thank you so much for tuning in today. We're talking about episode number 53. It's Feeding Intrinsically Starved Employees. That's the title. And it's, you know, what is that? Why does it matter? And how do we feed intrinsically starved employees once we understand uh, what that looks like and why it matters? And we're doing that with TTI Success Insights Chief Strategy Officer, Ashley Bowers. The show notes for episode number 53 can be found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash starved, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash starved. Some key points of what we talk about today, we do talk about what that is, intrinsically starved employees, and Ashley gives three actions. They're simple, but not easy actions leaders can take to change that dynamic. And we also pull in the idea of glass door and the impact that's having on employees finding their voice. And as Ashley says, we need to listen to that voice because they're going to share it. So the goal is for them to be sharing it with you, not on this glass door employee review site, if there's things you can correct to be able to do that. We also talk about 
my new favorite set of words, which is having high interpersonal versatility, high interpersonal versatility. What is it? How do you build it? It's a key element of success for leaders and for people feeling successful and being successful in their life personally and professionally. So we talk about that. And then I enjoyed in particular, and I think you will too, Ashley sharing about her influences in her life, some of her favorite books, which will have all the links to those books that she mentions at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash starved. We'll also have a transcript of this episode there. Ashley shares some other key tips, and there's a bunch of nuggets there in regard to her, some of the information she shares about her leadership journey. I want to tell you a little bit about her background. It gets talked about here in this episode, but 17 years with TTI Success Insights, she grew up in the business, started there early on, and is currently the chief strategy officer there. There was a four-year period where she went to work, I think it was four years, went to work for HomeSmart as a chief operating officer, and she talks about how much she learned through that experience. Ashley and another colleague, Lisa Aldisert, both trained me in Trimetrics probably in 2006. They came to Atlanta and they had a training program here. And that was my first foray into understanding the power of Trimetrics and what it measures, especially the under the hood portion of the assessment. We use a car analogy here. And so under the hood is things you can't see, but it's how you think and make decisions. And I was so super excited after that training session. I was pretty new in my business about a year in, and I knew that the Trimetrics tool was going to be a key part of my business and that I was very much in harmony with what it was about. And it was my tool of choice going forward. And it has been. I've written uh, my How to Hire Superior Performance book. I was on that. The next book I'm writing about how to activate greatness relates to that. So uh, great ties to Ashley over the years and to TTI Success Insights. And she represents them well here in this episode. So without further ado, let's get to it. Ashley, thank you so much for being on the Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast. I'm going to jump right into our question and then let you kick us off with some important information about the idea of employees who are intrinsically starved. Tell us what it is. How do you know? What's the impact? And what are three things leaders can do about it? Well, thank you for having me. The idea that employees are intrinsically starved really comes from this age of technology and automation and everything we have going on in our lives, the complexity and the chaos that we're kind of surrounded by on a daily basis. And we've done so much to automate and distance ourselves in order to increase efficiencies that we're losing that human interaction. And employees are looking for purpose. They're looking for managers who care about them as an individual and care about how to take them to the next level. It's not enough just to say that, you know, you want to be friends with people and you're going to add all the fluff and the things into the organization to, quote unquote, build the culture. They want to know that their work matters. They want to know that how they're contributing to an organization is making a difference. They spend a lot of their time in and around work and with the people that they work with. And so they're looking for that deeper connection to their coworkers, to their leaders, and ultimately to the company. And we tend to put systems and tools and processes in place. And so I always like to say when you have someone who is emotionally or intrinsically starved, it doesn't matter how many systems or tools or, if you will, how much dirt you try to fill that hole with. You can't fill 
an intrinsic whole with systemic type of information. Yes, yes. And the word intrinsic, think about all of our folks listening who know trimetrics, and we measure intrinsic, extrinsic, systemic. Intrinsic is infinite, and it's all about feeling and being. I love what you just said. You can't feel an intrinsic whole with systemic tools because uh, systemic tools are foundational, but they don't fill the being part, the feeling part. That's good. Absolutely. So how do you know if you have this problem and what's the impact? Um, I think as you look at it and, you know, when you look at uh, information that's out there about your company, you know, what are people saying about your organization? What are they saying on social media? What are they saying around the water cooler? Do you have people leaving the organization? Do you have people really striving to kind of go above and beyond? Looking at employee net promoter scores and would they be willing to refer other people to work there? Is it an environment where they feel like they're being nurtured? Do you have open communication? Are you hearing the negative about your organization, right? Do they feel like they have emotional safety um, to come and talk to leaders and to try to make a difference in the organization? Do they treat it as if it's their own? You know, there's articles that have been written about the renter's mentality versus the owner's mentality, you know, and what kind of mentality do your employees have? And if they're in that renter place, it's probably because they're not being satisfied from an intrinsic or an emotional perspective. And when you say net promoter score, how can a leader find that or understand Uh, what their net promoter score is? Yeah. So the book is the ultimate question. Originally, that started more from a customer satisfaction metric and people were looking for a leading indicator versus a lagging indicator. And so the research turned to what if we asked our employees how likely they were to refer another employee to work here? And that's the question. Um, And it's on a one to 10 scale. So you can send out a quick pulse survey doing a Google form or a survey monkey and just simply ask, how likely are you refer, to refer a qualified candidate to join the company? Uh, and then good. there's a formula behind that that will give the score. And so I would really encourage, you know, reading the ultimate question before implementing it because there's definitely a right and a wrong way to do so and how to glean additional information from it in order to make changes in your organization. All right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, the book. That's great. Great, great, great. Okay, what's next? So the other thing, um, you know, really looking at Glassdoor and the impact that that's having on organizations. As an employer, I have a love-hate relationship with Glassdoor. Um, with Explain what, what it is for anybody who's listening and doesn't know what it is. Sure. So Glassdoor.com is a job board. It's a board where employees can go and review organizations. They can review what it's like to work there. They can review management. They rate the CEO, they can review the interview process as well as the onboarding process, and they can post salary reviews. And it's very difficult as an organization to get anything changed on the website once it's up there. And so it's really a forum for employees to discuss, you know, if a place to work is good or bad or somewhere in the middle. From an employer standpoint, you know, you you don't have a lot of control. So you could have had a situation where an employee was termed and they're upset about it and they're going to go out there and blast you on glass door, there's really nothing you can do about it. But what you can do is to work with the employees in the organization who want to cultivate that environment and want to have other people come and join. And so they're going up and they're posting positive things and you're putting some social pictures of employee relation events and things like that up there. So there are definitely actions that employers can take to increase their ratings. 
So overall, the company will be ranked on a scale of um, zero to five, and it will track it over time and show trends of going up and going down. And so really looking at the comments for um, what are the pieces within them that you can make a difference on? You know, where are the small areas that you can improve? If you go at it with a mindset to defend everything that's up there, then that's just what you're going to do and you won't make an improvement. But if you can take all the negative comments and say, you know, what's one thing that I could improve in the organization based on this negative comment? Over time, you'll start to see that change. And as you start to see that change, you're going to get in more qualified candidates as you're looking for new people to join the organization, and you're going to see just your entire culture start to rise. So it's, it's a good measurement for what the outside really believes about the organization. Mm. Um, and it's just one of those things where the truth hurts at times, and yeah. there's definitely <laughs> yeah. three sides to every story, and it's only one side that's showing. Um, yep. But if you can do something yep. about that side and the perception of the employees because, you know, after all, perception is reality. And if that's how they're perceiving the organization, that's what you have to change. Um, whether it's true or untrue is really irrelevant. It's yeah. their perception of the truth, and that's what you have to change. Right. So when you think about intrinsically starved, you'd know you have an intrinsically starved population if if Glassdoor is blowing up and it's all negative, yeah. right? I mean, that would not, you wouldn't yeah. know for sure, but you pretty much got a good – Good bit of insight there, right? How many people are Absolutely. using Glassdoor? I wonder. You think? Uh, wonder how popular it is. It's amazingly popular. It's somewhat popular. I don't I know. I would classify it as amazingly popular, and the okay. reason being is now because of they're buying ad space on other job boards. Ah. So indeed, it's <laughs> the largest job board out there because it pulls from all different sources. A lot of human resource information systems automatically post to Indeed. And so you'll be searching and suddenly there's an ad that says, oh, look at this company on Glassdoor. What's their rating? When Glassdoor became popular, people would say, well, you know, the candidates I want, they don't go to Glassdoor. Well, Glassdoor is finding them. So it's not something that we can kind of dismiss any longer. It is something we have to address. That being said, Glassdoor has consulting tools and things like that to change the rating. I think that there's a lot of things by, you know, really focusing on the human nature of the business and understanding what makes your people tick and how to communicate with them. I think you can make amazing changes that are super impactful and not pay to have those made. And it's, I think I heard you say it, and I'm not going to quote you correctly, probably, but you said something about the employees are talking and we need to listen. Basically, they're going to talk. They're going to go to Glassdoor and talk. So, yes, you better, you <laughs> their better voices listen. are going to be heard. Like they're heard by us. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be heard. Yes, yes, yes. And I like what you said about you know the question of are you hearing the negatives? You know, so I always say it's like if if a manager complains about hearing a lot of complaints, I'm like, oh, you need to be thankful. It means they trust mm-hmm. you. They're telling you what's going on or what's bothering them. <laughs> you need to listen. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Anytime we do employee surveys, I always say if it's all rainbows and butterflies, they're not giving us honest feedback. If it's yeah. all gloom and doom, they're probably so disengaged that they're not going to come back from that. You yeah. want the feedback that has, you know, constructive items, some negative items and some positive items all mixed in because that's somebody's real view of what's going on in the organization. Right. Right. Uh, and so we'll go back up to intrinsically starved employees. What would you say are the top three things leaders can do? You've touched on it, but 
since you see you have an eye into so many organizations and then having run an organization yourself, if you said, okay, these are the three things. If you think you have employees who are intrinsically starved, you've gotten caught up in the tech efficiency and systems and process, and you know this is a weakness, what are the top three things they could do? So I actually think that it's pretty simplistic. Um, It doesn't have to be overly complicated to actually solve this problem. You have to want to solve it. But number one, I think that leaders just need to be real and, you know, be authentic, be transparent with their employees and their team members and not put on the facade of what they think leadership is supposed to be. Uh, And just be real, be someone that people feel like they can connect with. And then secondly, be intentional about making a personal connection with each employee. And that doesn't mean that you have to be best friends and hang out on the weekends and, you know, travel together or all of those things. But you can know their family structure. You can know what their personal life goals are. You know, you can know their history and, you know, where they've come from and how they plan to get to that next level and connect with them at, at that personal level where, you know, you know their kids' names or their pets' names or what's important to them. Um, and you really care about them as an individual and that they feel that from you. Mm. And then third, I think it's really important to share our failures. You know, we don't have to have it right all the time as a leader. And in fact, we don't have it right all the time. So we need to stop pretending that we do. And we need to talk about when we make mistakes or where we have accountability in a situation. Because at the end of the day, we're the ones that have the power inside the companies to make the changes. And so if we're not seeing something or we're not making the right changes, that's on us. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that we're sharing in those failures so that we're building up that kind of emotional piggy bank, if you will, for when we do make mistakes and when we, you know, we don't do things the right way that they know they can come to us and connect with us on, you know, that deeper level and say, hey, things aren't going right, but trust that we're going to make a change about it because we're okay with saying that we did something wrong or, you know, we could have done something better. Right. That's great. And it's, you know, high personal accountability, basically, where there's a mistake, mm-hmm. I own it. Um, we always see that as a, a trait in high performers. So it's such a shift for a lot of folks because it's like, oh, I need to be perfect. I need to look perfect. But if a leader does this, then it gives everybody else permission to do it. Right. The vulnerability is huge. Yeah. How did you start to become more vulnerable? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Because um, you're a high achiever. Grow- and yes. you like to get stuff done. And I'm sure you struggled with this. Have you? I, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was at TTI for 17 years and decided that I was going to make an exit in 13. And so I knew where all the skeletons were buried. I knew the answers to every question. You know, I had been here through all the transitions and everything. So there really wasn't much that I had to ask, like, how do I do this? I need help. Yeah. Right. I didn't. Those words weren't normal in my vocabulary back then. I left and I went to run a real estate conglomerate that was a franchisor, a technology company, and then obviously in the real estate space. So I didn't know the technology. I didn't know franchise law. I didn't know real estate law. And it was very humbling over the first few months as I was going in trying to change the culture. That's kind of what I was tasked to do. And I couldn't answer a question. I couldn't, you know, really make a decision without talking to, you know, six or seven people to understand (laughs) all the elements of the organization. But yet I was brought in with this, you know, high level of authority and this title and and this responsibility 
that I needed to be, you know, making those decisions and moving those things forward. I was the first person outside the industry to come in at, you know, that type of level. And so my only path to success was to get extraordinarily real with people, to be vulnerable and to try to figure out what line level staff members would be willing to lock arm in arm with me to help me figure out the base level of how the organization functions. And I literally sat on a floor in a closing department, like counting checks and, you know, looking through closing documents to do tally marks on vendors that were utilized for each of the closings and literally on the floor. And just, I saw the impact that it had where suddenly I would have, you know, these line level employees coming to my office and saying like, Hey, this is going on in the organization. Did you know about this? And really like leaning in and you find those people who want the best for the organization, but they never had a voice. Mm. And it just changed everything that, you know, I had known about leadership. You know, I didn't need to have this brave face all the time. It, it wasn't about me being perfect and getting it right. It was about me helping everybody move to the next step um, mm. and kind of figuring out sometimes what that step was along the way. You know, and did we need to take a half a step or did we need to take a step and a half? Where did, you know, where did we need to go? Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And I've seen that in you. I've seen it. I've seen, not like I'm in a, uh, you know, around you a ton or know for sure, but I can see what you're talking about. I've seen you be more open. Um, and myself too, I think that part of that is maturity too. For me personally, I'm much more open and much more relaxed about all my failures or problems, you know, I'm just more <laughs> transparent. So maybe that comes with its experience. This is an experience that you had. And for me, it was experience like, okay, it's okay. And, and actually the less you act perfect or try to look perfect, the more relaxed you are, the better everything is. So that's awesome. It's funny how getting completely forced out of like out of your comfort zone into a whole new world actually makes you so much more comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost like counterintuitive. It's like, wait, I get really uncomfortable and then I become super comfortable with who I am as a person. How did this work? You know? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) How did that come about? (laughs) Yeah. There is a shift. I've actually had people say to me, you're different, you know, and I think, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I think I made a shift somewhere. (laughs) I I wasn't fully aware of it, but the feedback tells me so. So still have work to do. I have a couple of value-add associates who are like, so old Ashley, new Ashley, how would you respond? And now how would you respond? And they're like using it for leadership development. So, I mean, obviously they're really close with me, so they feel comfortable saying those kind of things, but it's been a running conversation in a few different product development meetings and things like that, where we have, you know, our associates in with us. And, but it's great because we can all talk about it and it helps us all learn, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing here too. So let's talk about my new favorite words. And you said them when you were speaking at the conference. And I just, it just <laughs> rung, it, I had to write it down. Then I underlined it and then I highlighted it. So to build it up, high interpersonal versatility, high interpersonal versatility. What is it? And how can leaders figure out, you know, where they are in this set of words that I like so much and how can they grow? Help us understand this. Sure. So in a nutshell, I think it's that ability to be, in a sense, a chameleon, but sometimes the word chameleon has a negative connotation, like you're being fake, 
Um, you know, you're changing who you are depending on the situation. And, and that's not what high interpersonal versatility is. It's truly being able to adapt and mold to the situation, the level of employee, the topic at hand in order to, you know, make the most effective outcomes happen. And I think, again, you know, in that real estate experience, having $10 an hour employee conversation to the next meeting, you know, having a franchise prospect in the room to the next meeting, you know, talking to industry professionals where I knew nothing and had to sound like I did. It's that muscle, right? It's that muscle that we have to continually work to understand, you know, that self-awareness, you know, what's the situation? How am I regulating? What's the situation with the other person? You know, do I understand their emotions and what, you know, they're looking to achieve? Can I adapt my behavioral style to their behavioral style and match that in order to, you know, create the best outcome? So it's using, you know, obviously everything that we do here at TTI with the assessments, like kind of all in conjunction with each other, making sure that you're bringing, you know, if my dominant scale, you know, on the TTI scale is 100%. I can't show up that way in every situation in every day. Um, in fact, most situations don't require that 100% dominant style. So, you know, when is it like what tool that I have within my makeup as a human being do I need to be utilizing at that time? And how do I pull that tool forward or push that tool back in order to have the best outcome in that given situation? So some tips for folks who have completed the trimetrics assessment. I'm thinking you can kind of dialogue with me on this, Ashley. But so if you have a really high, you know, high DISC or a really low DISC in in regard to, you know, on the wheel, you're far on the outside. That means you have a strong tendency. So you could go look at that and say, okay, am I managing that? That's one. If you have passionate or extreme or indifferent on the motivators, you could go look at that. That would be where we might get entrenched sometimes because we, if you score passionate on or indifferent, it means you have a strong tendency. So that's harder to manage. So that could be one, you know, where somebody could go assess, okay, let me go look and see if I'm overdoing my high theoretical, which would be me, <laughs> uh, or, you know, <laughs> other things. And also on the um, acumen part, maybe it would be, it could look like, I don't know, I'm just throwing some possibilities out there. So people could go back and look at their assessments, but it could be the understanding others, if that's a little lower, that might show a gap, right? Yeah, Possibly. or even, you know, if it's if it's higher with a with a positive bias, right? We tend to see the sufficiencies versus the deficiencies in people. So yeah. are we so overly we, optimistic about somebody's abilities and actually setting them up to fail? Yeah, um, there we go. Yep. Yep. As a leader, you yep. think you're moving them forward and you're doing all these great things for them, but do they even want to be there? Yeah. Um, you know, well, what does that person want in their life at that moment? And then how do you lead towards that? And being okay with it. I think yeah. earlier in my career, I was never okay with it, right? High commanding as well. And so, you know, everyone should want to be at the top of that corporate ladder and everyone should want these great things. Well, not everybody does. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But our ability yeah. as leaders to constantly adapt to that in a very authentic way is important. And so I think a few things leaders can do is one, I mean, self-awareness is huge, you know, understanding the assessments about ourselves, understanding the rest of the makeup, you know, kind of how we became who we are from our early upbringing and, you know, yep. all the uh, failures and successes that we've had that have formed who we are and really being okay with that information, but never allowing any of that to be an excuse for how we behave or don't behave in a situation. 
Yeah. And I think that's sometimes we get a lot of information about ourselves and it's like, oh, well, it's okay. You know, I have a high D, so I was allowed to yell at that person. Well, no, you yeah. didn't. That's not okay. Yeah. Don't you notice that as people learn the tools, you know, it's like uh, it starts with, oh, I'm trying to understand it. And then the understanding is if people sometimes can stand in that place where it's like, oh, I'm a high D, it shouldn't matter. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to manage myself. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, no, that's not what this is about. And then the next <laughs> phase the is, of the <laughs> that is the object of all of this. And then the next phase is, and it's harder to do. It's easy to talk about. It's, you know, it's, you, you have to pay attention, manage yourself. So it's like, like you said, with family past stuff too, you know, you, you can understand it, but don't use it as an excuse. But anyway, yeah. So the next phase is to actually adapt. Right. So yeah, and I think having that accountability partner inside your organization too, I think is key. Like who's that trusted person? You know, if you're an executive, is it your executive assistant? Is it like your right hand or your left hand partner within the organization that after a meeting can say, Hey, like, I know you're working on this and that came across really authentic. Like you actually heard what they said today or that person who can stop you in a middle of a meeting and say, Hey, listen, you're not actually hearing what's being said. Hold on. You're in your own space and having that trust relationship where, you know, there's a key person in the organization that knows you're trying to develop and work towards being more versatile when it comes to interacting with other people that can help you through it because sometimes it's hard to see, especially if it's a topic we're passionate about. Yeah. And under stress, too. I mean, so we can manage I can manage myself all day until I get under stress, which I'm either tired or I'm feeling insecure. Then all of a sudden, everything I know (laughs) out the window, monkey brain takes over, you know, and I'm doing myself full tilt, you know. So Mm -hmm. that's great. I like the trust relationship. And do you have people that you have that kind of relationship with at work? I do. Um, actually, on different teams, I have different people. So just depending on if it's like the general leadership team, I have my person that I go in and kind of do that gut check with. And, you know, was I okay in this? Could I have acted differently in that? And then I've gotten to a point now where I'm pretty comfortable even going to the person I had the interaction with afterwards and saying, hey, we had this interaction. Did I come across this way? Because this was my intent. And then we can dialogue uh-huh. through it. And that helped grow, especially with you know, being back inside the organization for the last year, getting to know everybody and getting to know the style. Yeah. Yeah. And note anyone who's listening that that's building high trust. That's, that's a high trust building behavior that you just. And quickly, anyway, that's what helps us be successful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or we say, okay, we got, we got each other's back. It's all good. And ho, oh, I think I might've done something. So that's, that's exactly what you were talking about, about being vulnerable, being, aware. That's great. Anything else about high interpersonal versatility that you want to add on or say that I haven't let you say yet? (laughs) Um, The only thing I would say is, you know, if you're trying to kind of work towards that, don't beat yourself up when you take a step backwards. It's not easy to get to that point where you're really okay being that vulnerable. It gets easier the more you do it. And if I'm completely candid, if I wasn't thrown into the situation that I was thrown into, I don't know that I would have ever gotten there. You know, I mean, there, the first year and a half, there were multiple times a week that I was in tears talking to a trusted colleague on the way home. (laughs) And I can't do this. They don't like me. They don't respect me. I can't do this. And, you know, that unwillingness to give up. And I really believed in the owner and what he was trying to achieve and just kind of kept that laser focused. So don't, don't beat yourself up too hard if you have the hard days, because sometimes they happen and we're still human. No matter how great we get at leadership, we're still human. Yes. That's the beauty of leadership is you're never done, you know, and you're never Mm -hmm. done because you're always have the opportunity to evolve. 
Oh, yeah. That's great. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's a great point. And you know, like what you did is you found somewhere to express and vent it. And then you use that to say, okay, now it's time to dig in and focus once again. That shows your resilience, <laughs> which you. is awesome. Okay. So we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit more about you and your career. And I think that this will be helpful because it helps other leaders learn about other leaders. So let's talk about who's in, most influenced you in your life and career and tell us a little bit about what they said or did or shared that was most useful for you. So I have I have two actually in that category and one that I was trying to develop that actually I feel like she taught me more than I taught her. But the first one I'll talk about is my Aunt Sherry. So I grew up in family business. My grandparents owned beauty supplies before the days of the Ultas and all of that. Yeah. And so we have beauty supplies, 13 of them at one point here in the Valley. And then I have cousins that have them in Texas and such. But growing up, I mean, that's all summer, all holidays, like from school, you know, we were in the stores. And I think I actually got my first official paycheck when I was like eight years old from one of the Oh, you're supplies. kidding. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I never knew that. Um, that's and, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, by the time I was about three years old, they all have stories of me separating out, you know, the credit card machine, which was when you had to like go back and forth on yeah. the carbon paper. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Um, separating out the visas and the MasterCards and the American Express cards because I knew what number they started with and I was like three or four. So that upbringing, it's always about the the company and the owner of the company and you put that person before your own needs, I think shaped a lot of who I am as an employee and as a leader and probably shape the expectations I have of my employees, which are pretty extreme. You know, if you take care of the organization, the organization will take care of you. And yes, sometimes does that fail? Sure, it does. But I think that it helps you succeed more than not. And I think it really helps keep your eye on the purpose and the reason, you know, that, that you're in the position that you're in. And I think that's a quality that my leaders have always talked to me about is that I, they always feel like I put their company before myself. And I really feel like I've learned that from my aunt, whether it was in her personal life and how she took care and still to this day takes care of like her husband, her children, obviously nieces and nephews and grandchildren at this point, but also how she always took care of the business. And I just really admire her as an individual. So yeah, she's definitely a Sherry. Yeah, I love my Put you on a path. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) She did and still does. She's that person I go to when when I I need straightening out. So, Uh, and so the um, professionally, the VP of operations that was at um, the real estate company when I first went over there. What I realized very quickly is that, you know, she had grown up in the organization, um, very similar to how I had grown up here. And what I realized in her, though, is that she was always trying to figure out which leadership style she was supposed to emulate. And so was it the owner? Was it another executive? Was it the COO that was there before me? And the more and more that she and I spoke, the more I saw this trend in her. And I think it was in my coaching of her to just be the leader that she is and figure out her own leadership style and not try to be what's written in a book, not try to be what she's seeing in other leaders, but just to be authentic and figure out how she best leads was when I was finally able to like take my own advice and do that Uh for myself. My ability to kind of take that company where we did in the time that I was there um, and I don't know that if I didn't have to coach her through that, that I would have ever seen it in myself. Ah, how about that? 
That's awesome. That's a great, great. Uh, you learn from everyone that. around us, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And it is, it is so fun to be a teacher and a facilitator and a coach because uh, we get to benefit from all of that <laughs> by learning mm-hmm. ourselves. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So what uh, books, training programs, education, what's been most instrumental in your development along the way? What stands out? Maybe what books do you recommend the most? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, throughout my career, I've always been a reader. So I typically have five or six going on at any given time. And I love taking the pieces that resonate most with me and kind of applying that. I tend not to go all in on one concept and I kind of pick and choose and build things. So I think there's something to learn in everything that we read. If, if we go into any situation with that perspective, like what's the nugget that I can get out of this of either something to do or to stop doing or to avoid, yeah. if you have the right mindset, you can learn from any situation. Um, but one of my favorites is actually called The Traveler's Gift, and it uh, was written by Andy Andrews. I was at a National Speakers Association convention years ago, and he was a keynote speaker there and talked about the seven principles of leadership. And it's just like principles of decision-making. And the premise behind it is sometimes we get so focused on our big decisions, but a lot of times it's the daily small decisions that make the biggest impact. And so Mm. the book is a fable and uh, David Ponder is the character in it. And he gets in a car accident and he goes back into time when he's in this coma and he visits seven people from history. Oh, how cool is that? What a great concept. Yeah, and and you learn something from each one as you go through this. And so it's a phenomenal book. I always go through it with all of my leaders because I think it helps people figure out their own leadership style and how they make decisions. If you can get all your leaders making decisions based on the direction of the company and impact, really, like how it's really going to change the organization, first and foremost, I think then you can kind of mold from there and you can give them the other skills. So it's one that I love to recommend and it's an easy read. And I've yet to meet anyone that's come back and said it. That was not a valuable use of my time. So that's one of my favorites. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that. I've not heard of that. It's on my list. Anything Mm -hmm. else on your list that's a favorite? Is that your best one? That's absolutely my favorite. I'm a big fan of, you know, like rocket fuel and fortices of execution and kind of anything operational, um, taking different pieces. And scaling up from Vern Harnish is always a favorite as well. And I love how there are so many different resources for looking at cash and people and stuff on the website that you can utilize to have a conversation. Those are probably my top ones right at the moment. I have got a list of them. I'm just starting Dare to Lead. I haven't read it yet, but I've been told by several people that it's going to be my new favorite, but I haven't finished. I've just just started it, so I don't have an opinion yet. (laughs) Okay, cool. So let's say I'm real quick because I'm not sure I'm going to be able to catch him on the recording either. So one of them was Rocket Fuel. What was the other two, I think? Rocket Fuel, um, Four Disciplines of Execution. Oh, yeah. Okay. Four Disciplines of Execution. Um, Vern Harnish, Scaling Up. Scaling Up. And those are the three that I mentioned. Okay. And which is the new one that you're reading? Is that the Scaling Up? or Uh, The new one is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Oh, Brene. Yep. Awesome. We'll we'll put links to those in the show notes. Perfect. So when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? My grandfather. My family has been very instrumental in, in who I am as a person. Yeah, my grandfather is that person for me that I still question, like, would he be proud of this decision? Mm. Um, would he be proud of this choice? So he's definitely my my barometer um, in keeping 
myself on a straight arrow and I cannot say I can always answer yes to that, you know, obviously. <laughs> but when I think of like success, um, he was very successful in construction. He, my grandmother got married when they were 15 and 16 wow. and they were married for 59 years when my grandmother passed away. Um, just absolutely the love of each other's lives. So just from the role model of their marriage, of him as a father, as a grandfather, and then, you know, as a businessman, you know, he was very successful with work. He was very successful with the beauty supplies when, you know, they opened up that business. Always well-grounded. Um, you know, they went through the depression. So I'm very mindful of debt and finances um, and things of that nature. Yeah, it just taught me how to be the person that I wanted to be and like what success meant from a full picture. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. There's, there's Personal and professional. Yeah, there's all these aspects that matter and you have to keep them in balance. And that's where I'm not always the best, struggle with the balance. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there are things that I bring into that mix to make sure that we're having that. And there are definitely things that, you know, he taught me and my grandmother taught me. But Aww. definitely he's the one that I always measure by. And I think one time we were at dinner and I have an image in my mind, I might be incorrect, but did he smoke a pipe or something? And you had a memory of sitting on his lap and how he smelled Mm -hmm. or something? Yeah. Yeah. I would sit on his lap outside and he would smoke a pipe. And then I would sit on his lap in his like lazy boy thing. And we would watch the prices right. So yes. Yeah. I would think about the kind of uh, legacy that you want to leave. I mean, I'm often thinking about that. It's like, you know, am I being with the people that matter so that Mm. those are the memories, you know? There's a picture of me and my grandfather dancing at one of my cousin's weddings. And it's in my briefcase that both I've ever with. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, he is with you. And I'm sure in spirit he's in all those meetings going, you go get him, girl. (laughs) That's awesome. Try to make him proud. Yes, that's awesome. I love that. Okay, so we're t- we talk about waking up eager here. This is the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. I've got Wake Up Eager newsletter. I've got Wake Up Eager Wednesday. So, what are some things that you do to wake up eager? And I usually talk about them, mind, body, and spirit. What are some of your top things that you do to wake up eager? Yeah, um, I think from a like a mind and mental clarity standpoint, I am big on planning. I have a vision board. So kind of keep that focused and keep that image with me at all times of, you know, where we're going and what's important and try to make sure I focus on the long term and not the short term. Definitely. I mean, you know, we plan to do lists at home. We plan vacations out six months in advance to make sure that we're getting our rest periods and not, you know, that it's not all work and really, you know, kind of plan those experiences. Body definitely not always great, but definitely love to work out and have found that going to the gym after work really kind of de-stresses and declutters, you know, everything that I have going on so that then I can go and be present at night with my son and, you know, and do the family time and the things that we need to do from that perspective. And spirit, you know, the family connections and community, we've found ourselves in a phenomenal neighborhood with great neighbors, a bunch of kids. I mean, we all travel together. We are, you know, we're really raising our families together, which is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's very helpful um, in in so many different ways. And I do try to plan like our vacations for the experience. You know, people tease me with my Disneyland spreadsheets that I have. And so (laughs) Disney was a very big part of my life growing up. My grandparents took me every year. And when they were older, my aunt and uncle took us after that. And so that's something that Noah and I've enjoyed together on a yearly basis. And we, you know, pull different people in. And, and so now, you know, he'll sit with me on the couch and we'll be 
planning out dinners and this, that, and the other. And we just have a lot of fun with it. And it's just kind of our happy place. But I try to do that with all of our vacations and just make sure they're an experience and I'm present and making sure that that quality time really counts. Awesome. So a question for you on the planning. On the days, uh, I'm imagining, I know how busy my day is. Um, and I am one person in my business. Now, you are catering to not only the business of TTISI, but also 2,000 consultants who are tapping in. I don't know what the number is, but something like that, tapping in. So, how do you plan your days? Do you have any tips there so that, you know, that planning fallacy, we always think we can do more than we actually can. Uh, how do you keep yes. on track with that? You talked about the long term, but how, how about day to day? Any tips there or anything insights? Yeah. So one of the things we did this year as an organization is we said internal meetings can only happen on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, I like it. And we were constantly moving from meeting to meeting. So we'd have these half hour, 45 minute stints where you essentially just get wrapped up in email and like you're not really getting anything done. And so we said all internal meetings have to be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, The exception would be three or less people that are actually like solving a project problem or something like that to get together outside of those days. And that's really helped clear the field quite a bit. And, you know, I support a lot of VAAs more kind of in like a, a ongoing accountability and coaching relationship. And so right. all of those are the second and fourth week of every month. And I don't have them on the first or the third week of every month so that I can clear calendars for that. Um, okay. so yeah, my calendar is very much kind of formed based on, on what it is that I need. I love, this is so simple, but I love the Google tool or if it's a 30 minute, it actually does 25. And if it's an hour, it actually does 50 minutes because it just gives you those few minutes in between meetings to, you know, health break. And just, you know, if they do run over a minute or two, you're not behind. Is it Google Calendar? And it- um, yeah, it's a time efficiency button in settings that you can turn on. Oh, okay. And it automatically puts all your 30 minute meetings at 25 minutes and all your 60 minute meetings at 50. Oh. Um, and so that really helps out a lot. Okay, that's a good nugget. Lots of good nuggets, but that's one I was like, oh, that's cool. And I like the structure that you've set up for the business and for your schedule. We have to do that. If we don't take charge of it, somebody else will, and we probably won't like the outcome, you know? Right, absolutely. Okay, so fun to get to know you questions. I'm looking at our time here. What actor or actress would you have play you in a movie? Ah, Sandra Bullock. Oh, that's why you picked Sandra. I like her. Why did you pick her? So her acting in The Blind Side, like I, I like her in general, but in The Blind Side specifically, my husband and I watch that and he feels like it's written about me. And, and I know that she did a very accurate picture of um, of the moms, Leanne Tui and stuff, but her demeanor and the way she says things, you know, I think it would be phenomenal to watch her demonstrate my less favorable characteristics in a movie. I think it would be pretty comical. (laughs) How fun. That's neat. Okay. So what about, what's your favorite possession? So my favorite possession are my porcelain dolls. I have a couple of porcelain dolls that were from a collection of my grandmother's and we would pick them out and order them when I was a little girl. And I am adamant that they stay out in our house. They are in the guest bedroom because everyone thinks that they are creepy. (laughs) everyone thinks they're creepy and um you know different people that we're really close with they'll you know if if they've stayed in our guest bedroom I will find them in the closet when I um, go into the guest bedroom afterwards 
I love they don't them. Have the I do not be picking them out with your grandmother. They just they have funny yeah. faces or something. They're just porcelain dolls. Um, I don't think that they're people at all, but they are definitely um, a possession that is near and dear to my heart. So, oh, yeah. that's nice. That's nice. Even though they land we in the move, closet or in, in a drawer sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, when they move, <laughs> they go in the car with you. What advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Stop trying to prove yourself. I think when we are younger in our careers, regardless of age, I think when we're younger in our careers, we're so busy trying to prove that we deserve where we're at that I think we behave in ways that maybe are undeserving of where we're at. Good. You know, just let things happen. Stop trying to prove yourself. It'll work out the way it's supposed to work out and you can't force it. And I think I had a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of stress that I put on myself that really wasn't necessary. I think the result would have been the same um, if I would have gone with the flow. Wonderful. If you could have a billboard anywhere, uh, where would it be and what would it say? So it would be a compass pointing due north that would say most people are good. And I I think it should be on every highway. You know, I think if we just turn off noise and realize that most people come to their day with good intent and focus on that intent and maybe not sometimes the delivery or the word choice, I think we would all be a lot happier. Ah, I love that. Very good. Focus on intent, not delivery or word choice. All right, we're coming to a close. I know you've got things to go to. If there was one bit of advice or wisdom you want every leader to take away from this discussion as we're talking about intrinsically starved employees and how to change that dynamic, what's your last bit of advice or wisdom? You know, and just lean into your people. You know, they're there for a reason. They want to make a difference. It's a lot of time that they put into the organization. Lean into them and just see where it takes you. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, we, we do it with our kids. So why can't we do that with our staff and our people and just lean in and let them shine? I love it. So it's been awesome having you on here today. I appreciate you giving your time and sharing your many talents. Best way to reach you? Abe Bowers at TTISI.com or definitely connect on LinkedIn. Happy to answer any other questions. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. I appreciate and then- everything you do for us. Oh, I appreciate being a part of it. It's been the key part of my business and life, and I hope that continues for many years to come. People could reach out to you for one of your favorite things to do is strategic planning, correct? Put Get a little, give a little commercial <laughs> around that, or it doesn't have to be a commercial, but like a little summary of like what it is. You call it messy strategy, but what would that be if, if people yeah, are so needing it- help with that? Yeah, I love to look at an organization really just diagnose and kind of, you know, get information from the bottom up inside a company and kind of turn your traditional strategic planning process upside down, make sure we're hearing from the employee group and see really what can be accomplished. And so, yes, the process, you know, we call it messy strategy. I believe the strategic planning process shouldn't be this perfect linear process that you're walking through step by step and wondering when you're supposed to talk about certain topics. I think it should be a little all over the place, a fun and exciting endeavor to ultimately create a plan so that execution throughout the organization can be streamlined and can be focused and really can be efficient. So that's what I love to do. Love to help anybody who wants to really kind of work on how they operate inside the organization. Awesome. Thank you, Ashley. You're the best. Thank you. I appreciate it.
So I'm hoping that you got nuggets of wisdom and insight to help you on your journey. I'd like to recap some of the things that she shared, Ashley shared around intrinsically starved employees, some actions, and she, the top three, and these are simple, but they're not easy as, as we discussed, but number one, be real. Don't put on a facade, be intentional about making a personal connection. And number three, share your failures. Stop pretending when you make mistakes. I love this quote by Henry Ford. It says, failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. And I certainly can relate to that. I'm somebody who moves pretty fast. I'm not afraid to make mistakes, actually. Sometimes I wish I was a little more afraid. I'm learning to kind of, you know, pull it back a little bit. But when I get an idea and I'm ready to go, I'll go. And sometimes when I go, I'm get, I make mistakes. And so I love the, the idea of having a failure or making a mistake or making an error is not fatal. It's actually, as Henry Ford said, an opportunity to begin again. And this time, you know more. And it's kind of like the thing I always talk about, about situations or, you know, anything you don't want after you've had what you don't want. You never know more clearly what you do want until you've had what you don't want. Um, so, you know, to begin and just go for it and then not to not be afraid of it. And if you want to connect with your employees, which is the whole idea of what intrinsically starved employees is about is they need and want connection. We all need and want connection to each other. And to think of that as a key part of your job to make that connection, share those failures, be intentional about the connection part and be real. And uh, watch how things, as Ashley said, watch, see what happens. Give it a shot. Show notes for today's episode is at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash starved. Pricelessprofessional.com forward slash starved. And starved is lowercase. Our directory of episodes, wakeupeagleworkforce.com. Next up, we're going to talk about the negative side of assessments. I see assessments as a key tool in my business, but there is a not so positive side or negative side to that. And that is when people weaponize DISC. DISC is a tool that I use. I think it's valuable, but there's some mistakes that get made over and over again. I see them all the time in organizations and I see it uh, with colleagues. And so we're going to talk about that. What are those mistakes so that you make sure you're not weaponizing DISC and, um, taking the negative out of something that could be positive or making something negative out of something that could be positive. You know, we're going to talk about how to do it better. So I'm excited about that. That's our next episode. The new thing that I started this year is Wake Up Eager Wednesday. So every Wednesday, I post at wakeupeager.com tips, mind, body, spirit tips, and it's all personal things. This is what I'm thinking about this week, mind, that's a systemic, um, or tools. That's all what systemic is. It's something that's measured in the Hartman assessment. Extrinsic is the body. You know, what are things I'm doing to wake up eager? And intrinsic, what are some things I'm feeling being that are helping me tap into the feeling part of a wake up eager life. So that's personal connections and more. So if you're interested in wake up eager Wednesdays, you can go to wakeupeager.com and you'll see that every Wednesday. I also post on LinkedIn. So if we're not connected on LinkedIn, contact me there and let's connect. And also there's a Facebook wake up eager, facebook.com forward slash wake up eager. And if you're connected there, you like that page, you'll see wake up eager Wednesday every Wednesday. So Go forth, have a wake a bigger wonder week, and uh, we'll see you at the next episode. Take care. 
This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 